Thank you, Hannah, for making those announcements today. It's clear that the COVID-19 has seriously impacted our world. It's not just a threat of disease, but also now we're seeing the tremendous economic threat. Our world is changing rapidly. C.S. Lewis records some words that he wrote 72 years ago that I believe still has significant ramifications for our day. And he was speaking about what it was like to live with the threat of nuclear disaster. He was challenging the people of his day with the idea that death has always stalked mankind. And I'm going to paraphrase his remarks with our present uh, situation in mind. How are we going to live during this pandemic? Lewis says, I'm tempted to reply as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or how would you have lived in a time, a Viking age, when raiders from Scandinavia might land at any moment, raid your home, and cut your throat? Or indeed, as you have already are living in an age where there's cancer and car accidents. In other words, let us not begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Yes, this may be new to us, but many generations have suffered tremendous challenges. Believe me, dear sir or madam, Lewis says, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb or a virus came upon us. And then he goes on to say, all we have is one more opportunity for a premature death. In a world which has already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made and the first action to be taken, he says, is to pull ourselves together. In other words, let us not surrender to the current context of fear. Since death has always stalked us, we should be doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, caring for one another, rather than letting fear torment and dominate our minds. The great reformer Martin Luther shared a similar sentiment. Luther himself lived during one of the outbreaks of the Black Death. When the plague first came to Europe in 1348, between 30 and 50% of that continent died. For the next 300 years, there were constant reoccurrences and Luther lived during one of those reoccurrences. What was his advice? He said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed, quarantining, in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person but will freely go as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it's neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. So what should our response be during this time? Obviously, as in all things in life, we should act responsibly and ultimately trust God. He is our refuge, whether there's a moment of crisis or not. That's the biblical message as stated from Psalm 91, where we see a powerful word of encouragement of God's gracious care for us. So I'm going to have us take a look at three elements or aspects to Psalm 91. And the first one is simply a confession of faith in the protection that God gives to those who trust in him. Now, this is not just a mental assent, but also a verbal acknowledgement to ourselves and others that God can protect us as we put our confidence in him. 
Notice the psalmist's declaration of not only safety, but an absence of anxiety and worry. We are encouraged to come to this place of confident assurance and rest in God's ability to watch over us and even to protect us from harm. God desires for us to exhibit trust rather than fear in life's uncertainties and challenges. The psalmist is challenging us to come to God with all of our fears and our cares. And I want to begin by reading verse 1 of Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The idea of dwelling is actually a very fascinating Hebrew idea. It's actually sitting with God in a hiding place. There's a place where God can shelter us. And what does this actually mean for us? In the ancient world, kings would sit on thrones with footstools at their feet. The footstools were like steps up into the throne with amazing imagery of conquered people etched or painted on those footstools. This spoke of the king's authority and dominion over his enemies. Here in the text of picturing us sheltered with God, in reality, sitting with God on his throne, there's a reality to this that Paul picks up in the book of Ephesians. We are sitting with God in heavenly places. We are dwelling in a shelter. We are now experiencing a place of victory, even though there are still enemies that will attack our lives. Ephesians reminds us that we who were once enemies of God, but have now come to him in repentance and have received his mercy and grace, the result is not only forgiveness, but a new position and place with God. We are now dwelling in the shelter of the Most High. We've been raised up, and as the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is what it means to be dwelling in the shelter of the Most High God. We are seated with God. Though there are still battles with temptation and disease, they have lost their sting and power as we know that we shall overcome. I love Psalm 23, which reminds us of the amazing benefits of having the Lord as our shepherd and our shelter. It says there, there is in him no lack. He makes us lie down in green pastures. In other words, he will provide for our every need. He leads beside the quiet waters. Why? In order to satisfy the thirst in our souls. He'll guide our steps in the right paths because of who he is. We should be taking from this that God is in control and directing our steps. And even when we walk through the darkest times, such as what we're experiencing, we have no fear of this evil. Why? Because our Father is walking with us, comforting us by his word and with his divine presence, his Holy Spirit, which now dwells within our lives. He even provides for what we need, a table in the presence of our enemies, in this case, this virus and this economic challenge. We know that sickness and death are our enemies, but we need to realize that God is here now to sustain and watch over us in this time. Here again in verse 2, we see a declaration of trust in God's care by the psalmist. He says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. James May relates, the refuge is used as a metaphor for God's care and protection and is pervasive as a theme in the Psalms. It means to seek protected space and to look to the Lord for security from threatening dangers. He goes on to share that people have always experienced 
threatening dangers. And what the psalmist is trying to get us to understand is the important role of trust in coping with our anxieties that come upon us as we're faced with challenges in life. Derek Kidner points out that what we have in this declaration is a testimony of the psalmist's own trust before he begins to apply it to us. And so that moves us on to the second aspect, which is the kind of things that God will protect us from. What is God promising regarding our welfare? Well, there are a number of metaphors that describe God's protective hand in life. We, and often we fail to consider even all the deadly things around us. And yet now we are challenged in light, particularly of this virus, that is impacting more than just our health, but our way of life. We are quickly being made aware of the fragility of life. Yes, life is fragile. And we're now reminded how fragile it really is. Because so often we have taken for granted God's goodness and blessings in our life. But when God just allows a little bit of challenge to come in, it makes us realize how totally weak and unable we are to care for ourselves apart from him. And yet, when life seems normal, we tend to ignore many of the more obvious and equally dangerous elements that surround us. Now God has grabbed our attention, not to create fear, but to remind us to live life the way he intended for us to live. And you might ask, how's that? That we would live for him, that we would live for his honor and for his glory, that we would begin to care for one another deeply. That's what Lewis was reminding us of. Live by faith and not by fear. Live fully and lovingly and fearlessly and unselfishly. Last week, it's interesting, while shopping with my nephew, who was desperately trying to get home to Australia. He was looking for a number of items because he knew that in Australia they were running out of these things, and so I was shopping with him, and he was looking for hand sanitizers. And as many of you know, those things are hard to come by. And as we discovered very quickly, that was true. Eventually, we went to the till and we asked some uh, the clerks there if they had any hand sanitizers because he was explaining he and his wife were heading to Australia with their little baby. And immediately, one of the, this happened twice, the attendant just handed their personal hand sanitizer and said, please take this. And then my nephew said, but what about you? And they said, don't worry about me. What, what is this going to cost? They said, absolutely nothing. And so we see that at these moments, God can reveal wonderful expressions of love and generosity and kindness in the midst of this difficulty. This is somewhat in contrast to what I read this past week of a man who went out to buy a pound of coffee. And as he was writing in his article, he got to the shelf and the last 12 pounds were being scooped up by the couple in front of him, leaving the shelf absolutely bare. When he asked him if he could just have one of the pounds of coffee that they had scooped up, they responded, not a chance. So what are we discovering is that during times such as these, the true nature of our hearts are now being exposed. How are we going to live? In faith or in fear? Are we going to live lovingly and generously? Are we going to live selfishly? Will it simply be about us or will our hearts be in tune with God so that we will minister to the needs around us, even at times at our own expense, revealing somewhat the nature of our Father in heaven who exposed his Son to our world in order for you and I to experience eternal life. 
How often do we read of the early church willing to sacrifice themselves for the sake of those, even those who were persecuting them? There was a time such as this in 251, and it was a plague was sweeping through Carthage in North Africa. Piles of dead bodies were thrown into the streets where they had been abandoned by their family. The unbelievers casting about for causes were fingering the Christians and a severe empire-wide persecution now began. The emperor, Dicius ordered all Christians to sacrifice to the pagan gods on pain of death. But Carthage's bishop, Cyprian, enjoined the city Christians to give aid to their persecutors and to care for their sick. He urged those who had funds to donate and those who were unable to donate to volunteer their service in relief efforts, making no distinction between Christian or non-Christian. Under Cyprian's direction, Christians buried the dead left in the streets, cared for the sick and the dying. For five years, he stood in the breach, organizing relief efforts until he was forced into exile. Rather than being thanked, they were punished. But these believers did it anyways. So what are the things that the psalmist explains that we can trust God with? Well, first of all, he says in verse 3, the fowler's snare. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner points out, most of these dangers are of a kind which are unseen, against which the strong are as helpless as the weak. So what is the fowler's snare? This is a metaphor for things that entrap our lives. One example is found in Psalm 140 verses 1 to 5, and I'll focus on verse 5, where we have the plot of the wicked that rise up against us. It says there, the arrogant have hidden a snare for me. They have spread out the cords of their net and have set traps for me along my path. But another snare that is mentioned here in Psalm 91 in verse 5, it talks about the fear and the terror that comes at night. You know, many times what really is the problem is not so much the actual situation. It's actually the fear that terrorizes our hearts and minds. And that's what God wants to set us free from. People today are terrified. Panic is ruling decisions. Fear is one of the most powerful motivators. It actually can cause paralysis. How, look at what happened to the Israelite army when Goliath came and challenged them. The army was paralyzed into inactivity. Likewise, there are a lot of people who just don't know what to do, and it causes many to just flee because they're afraid, and they do not fulfill their responsibilities, or else it can cause courageous behavior. Think a little David coming on the scene, hearing the taunt of that giant and rising something, the Spirit of God rising up within him, a spirit of faith in his heart, and he took on that great danger. The psalmist speaks specifically of pestilences and plagues. This is what we're dealing with. He says, we need not fear this pestilence. Why? We need to remember we're seated in heavenly places with Christ. Ultimately, we know that neither disease nor death can separate us from being with our Lord. David Damien, who had been in China during the COVID-19 crisis, shares how believers there were literally going out, securing face masks and daily supplies, then knocking on the door of their neighbors, offering these supplies to them at no charge, and then asking them if they could pray for them. What a tremendous opportunity to minister to people around us 
who are right now probably more open to receiving assistance than ever before. I believe that's a powerful example of what we could do to help others in this time. The psalmist paints a more powerful image of those that perish while other God spares because of their trust in him. In verse 7 it says, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Here we have another incredible image of God's protection of the person who's placing their trust in him, while many others are being afflicted. Here's where we, I think, need to gain a broader context of biblical text to give us a better understanding, because I think some of us might take this text as a charm to ward off any evil that might come into our lives. But, and many have done that in the past, actually taken this text, put it in charms and wore it to ward off danger. Jesus, though, points out in Luke 21, 16, that you and I might experience some challenges. In verse 16, he says his followers would be betrayed and some would be martyred because of their faith. You will be betrayed, Luke 21, 16, even by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, friends, and they will put some of you to death. But then Jesus turns right around and makes this interesting statement two verses later in verse 18, but not a hair of your head will perish. So is Jesus saying something that's conflicted and contradictory? Obviously, Jesus is trying to say something that we need to understand here. And in verse 19, I think we get an understanding of what he's really saying. It says, stand firm and you will win life. But of course, he's not just speaking of the life that we have on earth. He's speaking of the fact that you and I have life in its eternal fullness. In other words, no matter what happens to us as a child of God, we know that God's purposes are being worked out in our lives and what is best for each of us will occur. The Apostle Paul reminds us in his letter to the Philippians that nothing that comes to us causes us to lose. Whether in life or death, God will be with us. As a matter of fact, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? Because he's now with Christ fully. Paul fully understood that to live uh, as a child of God is extremely powerful. That God is allowing things into our lives and shielding us from things he knows that some of us will not be able to handle. He's in charge of our world. The real issue is how will we respond to this threat and challenge? Will we live in faith or will we live in fear? The psalmist gives us this challenge. We must make the Lord our refuge, verse 9. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Now how many recognize that lions and serpents usually attack from hidden places and its victims are caught unaware? And that's why Peter uses that as an image to teach us to be alert and vigilant because our enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So then how does God protect us? The means of God's protection in this text is from ministering angels. And how should this be understood? Well, I think we have a good example of this in the New Testament where Jesus gives us a clear guideline when he himself was tempted in his wilderness. James May says, Satan placed Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple and challenged him to jump off to test God's promise that the angels would bear him up or protect him. 
The temptation was to take the promised protection of God into the control of his own will and act. And that would have shifted the power of the promise from the free sovereignty of God to individual willfulness. Jesus saw that as a way to test God, not as a way of trust. Real trust does not seek to test God or to prove his faithfulness. And that's why I think it's important that you and I take precautions when necessary. We're not here to test God. But on the other side, when we are being confronted with something like this, we don't succumb to fear. Let me give you the final aspect, and that's God's assurances of answers to our prayers. Now in the psalm, it moves from the psalmist to God himself speaking directly to us. In essence, God is saying, I can do exactly as you're praying and declaring with confidence. So then let us come with confidence to the throne of grace in this time of need. Our Father desires to answer our prayers. He says in verse 14, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God is saying, I'm going to help you. Even in this time of trouble, I will deliver you. But you know what? Sometimes that trouble may seem a little different or the deliverance may seem different to us than what we expect. Most of us feel like we want God to put a bulletproof vest on us so that nothing hurts us. But let me share a little insight. David Damien, who was traveling in, in uh, China at the time of this virus, shares a story of a woman whose entire family, a believer, they were now infected with COVID-19. She was struggling one night, battered by the symptoms, and she found herself interceding in prayer. And as she was praying, she looked down from her apartment window into the street of the city, and the Lord began to break her heart as she saw the people wandering in the city aimlessly with no hope. She started to cry out an intercession in a manner she had never done so before. Instantly, a love for the people of her city supernaturally manifested in her, and by morning, all of her own symptoms had dissipated. At the last report, her entire family, which consisted of four generations, were all a lot who had all lived in this one apartment, had recovered from the virus. God brought healing to them, but in their moment of trouble, a new passion and concern for others was supernaturally birthed in their hearts. So what is the psalmist conveying to us? Trust God. He'll take care of you. Don't give in to this fear. Recognize who we are and where we're dwelling. Hey, we're sitting with God. With enemies under our feet, God is able to deliver. We need to allow God to use us powerfully to minister to those around us and let us have the same confidence as those three Hebrew friends of Daniel had when confronted with the threat of death. They said, our God is able to deliver. And you know what? He did deliver them. And yet, as even as they stated, even if God doesn't choose, we're going to remain faithful to God. As a child of God, we know that our times, our days, are in our Father's hands. Now, I want to just have you notice that in the live streaming here, there's some information that's being flashed to you about giving, prayer, uh, there's something about responding to Jesus. If you, if you get a hold of us, we would be so happy to respond to you and encourage you 
that God is your ever-present help in this time of trouble. Let's pray together. So Father, I just want to thank you that you are with us, and that your promise to us is that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Your word is true. This is a firm foundation, and even though all around us we see the waves and we're in the boat, Lord, and it seems like our boat is going down, Father, help us to realize that you are the one who walks on the waves. You are the one who speaks to the waves. You're the one who speaks peace into our troubled hearts. And now I pray, Father, that you would encourage, strengthen. I pray that you would deliver us from anxiety, worry, fear. I pray, Father, you would give us wisdom and understanding, that you would help us to become courageous, that the life of Jesus that is dwelling within us would overcome all of our fears. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.